0: Welcome to the Salesforce Spotlight Series. I'm Teresa.
1: And I'm TJ. And we co-lead Salesforce's employee loyalty programs.
0: We're excited to have you here firsthand from employees at each step of their employee journey and current Salesforce alumni from around the globe.
1: You'll also hear how Salesforce has impacted these employees' lives.
0: Now let's go. So to start out, you first joined Salesforce in 06. Um, I joined Salesforce in 07. I'd never left, just always stayed. But um, tell us about your first stop at Salesforce. So back in 2006, where did you start your career at Salesforce? And kind of walk us through that career journey for us.
1: My background is actually I was in Salesforce automation and CRM for a long time. I was actually at Siebel for five years as well. And way back in the late 90s, I was at a company called Borealis, Was doing Salesforce automation way back before it was CRM, so my background was really enterprise software at large, and so I knew of Salesforce. Uh, I had friends that were here at Salesforce. I knew what was kind of going on. Kind of the standing joke when I was at Siebel back in the late '90s, early 2000s was like. The protests that Benioff was doing uh, in front of the Siebel conference and things like that that was basically annoying Tom Siebel to no end. It was really entertaining for all of us at Siebel because we actually didn't like working at Siebel. Um, (laughs) But uh, the opportunity came when, and I'm forgetting who it was, I knew from Siebel, but basically introed me at Salesforce and I got connected in with Courtney Brodus at that time. She was running quality engineering and performance and some other things. And she'd worked with Mark Benioff at Oracle. And with her and Rajni Ramanathan, who's now retired, they were looking to grow at that time the quality engineering organization and specifically focusing on Salesforce's multi-tenancy with the core. So Salesforce was in the early days then, I think it was probably about 800-ish employees when I joined, something like that. We were trying to figure out how to scale the service, how to get better availability and reliability because Salesforce had some major outages in the early part of 06. So it was sort of a rough period for the company. So my first intro there was to come and help on the core side. But right when I joined, I got uh, kind of roped in and asked, hey, will you take over financial services? Because Merrill Lynch was the big customer at that time. And Mark had made some commitments to Merrill at that time so that they wouldn't it. And so myself and Alex, who basically put together the teams that built all the calendar and activities and a whole bunch of other things that enabled Merrill to be uh, successful. No good deed goes unpunished. And from there, it was sort of like Craig Weissman, who was chief architect at the time, was starting to work on platform, which became force.com with a programming language called Apex and then ultimately a visualization model view control called Visual Force. And so uh, This is really
0: bringing me back Mark, when you talk about Apex code and visual force yeah. and we had to have, so I started out as an AE and I remember our sales certification, we had all the fan on the block and we had to like learn how to pitch this, but gosh, really takes me back. So sorry, continue. It's just kind of mm-hmm. exciting to reminisce over the old Salesforce days.
1: It's so crazy to think back on this. Like, so that was the days when Todd McKinnon was running engineering before he went mm-hmm. to go head Okta. So Craig was building out Apex. And so myself and Greg Salmon were chartered by Todd and Rajni at that time, to go build out the teams that would build Apex and ultimately build Visual Force, which empowered building the force.com platform and ultimately developers building applications that would get packaged and deployed via the app exchange. And so I got roped into that. And then also at that time, it was like we were growing so quickly, Rajni kind of kept throwing more stuff on my plate. So I had analytics at that time as well, uh, which ultimately became Wave. And then I had Sales Cloud also at that time. And then I took on ultimately kind of what became the core piece, which is around sort of the underpinnings of what were Salesforce. So as we started to hire more leaders, I got to kind of move stuff off because i have never been an empire builder. My background is more distributed systems and data. So I got to start to focus more on sort of our infrastructure piece and and things like that. So that was sort of condensed a, a little bit of kind of the evolution of the journey, I guess at least in the earlier days.
0: That is just amazing. I mean, just stuff that you were talking about. I just remember when you talk about Apex, it's like we were able to then position to our customers clicks, not code. You know, yeah. you talked about Wave Analytics. I'm like, gosh, I haven't heard about Wave in so long. And it was, I still remember you think about those Dreamforce of like Brett Queener, like dragging like <laughs> code and dashboards at Dreamforce. Like, yeah. that's amazing, right? <laughs> so, very, very cool. I think about, um, we talk about. Innovation being one of our core values, that was what you did, like just kept on building and building and building more great features for our customers. That's very cool. So what prompted you to leave Salesforce? Obviously, you um, got to do a ton and contributed uh, so much to um, our dev community as well as to our customers. But what was, you know, what was the itch that kind of said, let me try something else?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. So one of the things that kept me here so long, I never thought I'd stay at a company for as long as I did, but it was the opportunity that I was afforded and the, all the opportunities to learn and be challenged and push outside of my comfort zone. And one of the things I've learned over time is like, when you're pushed outside of that comfort zone where you're questioning yourself on a fairly regular basis, like, am I in the right role? Is this job way too big for me? Like, you're in the right role. And I liked that. I like to be pressurized. and. I had that opportunity and I've also grown a lot of leaders at Salesforce. Uh, some of them have grown to SVP and beyond. And I've always enjoyed that. Like I've always enjoyed the succession planning. I'm kind of like after a few years, like, okay, what's the next thing to kind of tackle. And I got to the point where I grew what was, what's become Salesforce monitoring and everything around all, all our, our data platform and our data pipeline for core Salesforce. That's all basically kind of housed under Darren Deacon right now. And I was kind of at the point where I'm like, okay, I've had a lot of success. What's kind of the next thing? TNP was going through a reorganization at that time where Randy Kern was transitioning out of Infra and everything was moving to Shrini. And I, I remember meeting with Shrini a few times around kind of like, okay, here's the different things. Here's my background. Here's the interests. And there were things that I could do, but I don't know if I was getting as fired up at the time, quite candidly. But at the same time, Twilio and Facebook and some other companies had come to me. And I was like, I remember telling shrini I'm like, maybe a good time. I just, I like this company, but I drink a lot of Kool-Aid here too. Like I just want to see kind of what else is out there. And I took my sabbatical, which is an amazing benefit to have at Salesforce. I highly encourage people to take advantage of that. So I took my 11 or 12 weeks or whatever it was. And uh, I also talked with some other companies just to validate like, Hey, am I still where I want to be? And I fundamentally got really interested in an opportunity with Twilio where there's actually a lot of ex-Salesforce people like George Hu and Sarah Barney and a bunch of other folks that I knew. And uh, it kind of reminded me of Salesforce early days. And so I decided, you know what, this is kind of getting me excited and like it's something new and different in terms of running some business units. And so I decided, Hey, let's go try a new adventure. Even knowing then I was like, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if I'm back at Salesforce at some point, but you never know. And so for me, it was, The reason I left was fundamentally about, like, I want to make differential impact. And that's what gets me excited, like things that really challenge me and push me in terms of delivering innovation to customers that really delights customers. And I felt like I had a greater opportunity to do that outside of Salesforce at that time. So that's why I decided to leave.
0: And so when you had your time away from Salesforce, and we we talked to a lot of boomerang employees, when they leave, they still stay in touch with their Salesforce friends, right? You've grown so much together. You really build those relationships. Was that something that you did too? Even though you weren't physically a Salesforce employee, you still kind of kept those ties?
1: Oh, yeah, I, I still did. Uh, my sister was actually an engineering leader at Salesforce, and she just left a year ago to go uh-huh. to a David Duffield startup. So I had obviously a family tie here and then obviously there's just a lot of people that I know here and we always, I've just kept in touch with a lot of people. So, you know, Andrea is one of those people that I've kept in touch with and folks like Nishant Gupta and, and, and several other engineers and, and product leaders in the organization. So I always thought really highly of this company. It was never like, oh, I can't stay this place. I want out of here. It was always like, I always felt like, you know, it's kind of a journey and you're like your different points in your journey and the opportunities it's like who knows? Maybe it'll line it again, and
0: yeah.
1: you know. So it was staying in contact, and in this particular case, Randy Kern was one of the people that I kept in contact with quite a lot, who's now gone to Marquetta. And Randy had funny enough introduced me to the other Mark Nelson back a couple of years ago. He's like, "Okay, you both are named Mark Nelson. I got at least introduced <laughs> because I like both of you a lot." And, <laughs> and, I, and and then Mark and I just kept we chatted quite a bit over the last couple of years, um, and okay. then all through. That's kind of how the opportunity came about to not to digress the conversation.
0: No, I mean, this is good. So my first question for you is, you know, you spent some time away from Salesforce and we'll go back to what you're doing now today, but you spent some time away. What did you miss about Salesforce? The reason I ask you this, Mark, is because people who read these articles, sometimes they are new hires, right? They're Coa club members that might be thinking like, what's next for me? And I don't think until you leave, you start to really appreciate yeah. what Salesforce has. So what can you share about what you missed about the company when you were gone?
1: There were several things I really missed. And there were things that I knew I was going to miss too. I missed, frankly, kind of the structure around our focus in planning and how we just executed and we had big audacious goals, notably using the B2 mom as a mechanism for that. So having just been in an organization that uses more of an Amazon mindset of like, okay, let's figure out how we can build a million different things and then we'll figure out how we're going to monetize those. And so it's just like scattershot and you don't know what's important. And for me, I think maybe really spending so much of my career at Salesforce, I really got inculcated with this thing of like, really be very focused on what your North Star is and you dogpile on it. And as Mark would say, and, and having been to a lot of his offsites, like this is the plan. There is no other plan. This is the one. If it's not in here, it's not a plan. And I missed that. I missed that focus because it helps to remove ambiguity and decision-making and not being loudest voices in the room or the squeakiest wheel to get things done. And so that was one of the things I missed. The other thing I missed was, honestly, the people as well. I think there's a lot of really amazing talent here in terms of leadership as well as in terms of like truly some innovative engineering that's going on here in product and just by far the best enterprise sales team in the industry. There's no doubt about that whatsoever. So I missed like that muscle and that firepower that is Salesforce. And you really get to notice that when you speak with other companies and and when you've seen what good looks like, like it's hard not to look at other places and not think they're a clown show.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about what you do now. So yeah. of course, so you um, have, Randy had introduced you to Mark and yeah. you take me back and talk about Wave Analytics and now you're... Leading um, your leader, an engineering leader here at Tableau. So that's a far, I mean, we think about capabilities. I mean, Tableau has so much. So, what are you, tell us about your role now today, what you're yeah. doing, and kind of what are you excited about? What
1: What's your body of work? Tableau development organization, or Mark just went through a big reorganization last week. And so I joined the exact same day as Kate Wright. Uh, and Kate came from SAP. Uh, 20 plus years in analytics. And I came uh in, in kind of almost like a little bit of a reduced capacity from what I'd been doing. I'd been running product and engineering for the last, I don't know, eight, seven or eight years. And I came here to run Inge because Mark was really candid. He's like, look, you know, we're starting to see a lot more demand for products. We're seeing things like Tableau Public, which really took off during. The pandemic during COVID, where we were starting to provide visualizations, especially to like the states of Ohio and California, but now we're starting to run into outages and things that weren't issues before are now cropping their head. And his his words to me were like, you know, we need some people that have seen these movies before, who can help us. And so that was that was kind of the opportunity. I'm like, there was there's a lot of really good IQ at Tableau, and I also liked the opportunity at Tableau in terms of like the mission really speaks to me. It's like, how do you democratize being able to get insights to more people? So outside of just a data analyst, somebody that can sit there and build visualizations and Tableau, like, like if you think about the main premise of public, it's like, you want to be able to get, you know, really trusted data to people and help them to answer questions. Yeah. And especially when you think about the environment that we live in today, where there's so much misinformation that's floating out there, Personally, like that is a very endearing mission of like, how can I help more people get the right data and be able to use data to answer the questions? Right, And I think that's super powerful just in bettering the world. As it relates to this role specifically, so I just took over product as well as engineering for what we're calling platform and ecosystem, which is under uh, analytics under Kate Wright. So I am essentially responsible for the teams that are, are building the Tableau ecosystem to empower developers, customers, partners to build applications, to do embeddings, to do integrations that basically accelerate data-driven insights. And so I'm super excited about this because there's a lot of enthusiasm within Salesforce right now and a lot of demand to build a platform for Tableau and to build that ecosystem ultimately that empowers customers and service providers in the community around Tableau, which has just such a It's just an amazing following within Tableau, but to really accelerate that. And Tableau has got such a following, but we're also seeing an evolution in how people work from centralized systems to obviously systems like Slack, embedding of things like Tableau visualizations and reporting and insights inside of other third-party systems. Obviously, things like Microsoft Teams and stuff like that comes up, or even inside of Quip. And so, I'm personally really excited about taking on this mission and this charter to build the Tableau platform to accelerate the data-driven insights for the world. So, yeah, uh, it is a really huge,
0: it's a big mission, but it's exciting because yeah. it's really about making data accessible for everyone. You know, and mm-hmm. I love that Tableau has always stood by that, making anybody could look at data and understand it. And so, being yep. behind that work is awesome. Um, mm-hmm. You also bring some really great perspective. One of the things I get to do in my job is I get to welcome our acquired employees to Salesforce. So obviously having Tableau come into the larger fold as Salesforce, we want to make sure that we're embracing all the greatness of Tableau and marrying it with all the greatness that Salesforce has. But then you also have a really good perspective because you've left the company, you've come back. So as a boomerang, is there something specific that you think you bring to the table as a boomerang that other leaders aren't privy to?
1: Yeah, it definitely, it helps because obviously... There's relationships I have, there's some tribal knowledge I still have of Salesforce in terms of the systems, in terms of the platform, the architecture, et cetera, which I think helps accelerate, especially when we think about pieces like the marketplace for Tableau and how the app exchange plays into that, how we think about identity and identity management with customer 360 and things like that, where I think that would be harder for somebody that doesn't have the Salesforce background to really learn and understand that. So it, it gives me an edge. Obviously, it also helps in terms of the integrations with the teams, like implementing things like the 2 Mom and, and having gone through that process for many, many years helps. At the same time, though, I'll be candid and transparent. Like it's a challenge too, and coming to an organization like Tableau where they have a culture, they have an identity, and to be acquired, it can be a difficult transition. And even for me, I found it's a little difficult. And there's a stigma of being associated with Salesforce and like, are you just going to try and Salesforceify us? And that's not the intent, but it's also, it's a very different culture in terms of it's a, it's a very, a culture that's more decision making by consensus and collaboration. Salesforce is more like driven and direct, like, here's what we're going to do. And for me, I've had to learn to alter like how I work with the culture at Tableau so that I don't diminish um, all the positive traits there. So it's been an interesting mix of like, yeah, I have some advantages, but also I have some learnings, so that I'm not eroding the culture that's at Tableau.
0: So any surprises for you since you've been
1: back? I don't know if there's any surprises necessarily. Like coming back after only been gone, what was I got, two and a half years, just to see the acceleration and growth that's happened here in terms of just revenue, in terms of all the maturity that's happened, in terms of how we curate talent, how we still focus on the employees and the employee experience so much, which actually going back to your earlier question, that was one of the things I missed, like talent development and all the investment in people, very much miss that. I would say that's been just incredible to witness. I would also say I, I frankly have just been blown away by the growth I've seen of, of a number of people here who I've known for a while to just see their careers flourishing and accelerating. It was just been awesome. There definitely haven't been any, any bad surprises to me. It's been, I'd say, maybe the, the surprise for me is like how well the company is still doing. It's incredible.
0: And during a pandemic, too, I mean, yep. it's pretty crazy to see that we continue to grow, we continue to hire, um, continue to provide yep. more opportunities for our employees. But one thing that's very important is like taking care of yourself, right? Yep. So you bring your full self to work. So, what are you doing from a well being perspective or what? advice you have to give others of how you stay sane and still come into the coming back to new a new team new leaders but then also making sure that you take care of yourself what advice do you have
1: it's a great one the commentary i've been using and other people have been using is like we have all been living at work for the last 18 months <laughs> literally we've been living at work like there's been no deep <laughs> connective space whatsoever the advice i've been giving people is like take time off take vacations it's okay to do the day here and there but like really take some sizable time off because you need to really disconnect and ideally get away disconnect from your home environment as much as you can and so leverage the PTO that exists here ideally the unlimited PTO more in the sense of like just for your mental well-being because we all need to be cognizant of that the other thing that I've set expectations with with leaders is like look you're not going to have the same productivity output necessarily that you were having before. So focus on the qualitative and then focus on the human well-being. Make sure that people are doing okay. Not just asking, hey, how's it going? But like, no, how are you doing? Like, how are you feeling? And giving people the ability to just take mental health days when you need to. Like, hey, it's okay. We've got your back. And I think just giving people that psychological safety that it's all right particularly, you know, people that have dependents to take care of, which like I have two kids. So my wife and I divide and conquer in terms of like taking them to schools and camps and things like that. And just also being very human about it. It's like, I'm very transparent with my org in terms of, you know, responsibilities that I have for my kids. I try to be transparent in terms of like my youngest daughter has autism as well. So she goes to behavioral therapy and like, I'm trying to learn to be a better person too, and learning about how I can interact with her better. And I think that helps to humanize it with people around like, you know, I'm not a robot. I'm not a machine. I also very much lead with like, I am a human, so I will make mistakes. Please call me on it and give me feedback. Yeah. Too. <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> no, we're all just, we're all just trying our best here. right? Yeah. <laughs> um. So let me, you know, many, many years at Salesforce. So we always talk about BTO, giving back. What do you do personally to give back?
1: Some of the things I've done is like my oldest daughter has a proxy of speech. And so we've done some fundraising things related to that. Um, We've done a number of volunteering things related to schools that both our daughters go to. pre-pandemic, it was obviously a little bit easier to go help with some organizations. You know, my previous company Twilio was also very much on the kind of one, one, one bandwagon. And so, you know, there were a lot of things that we were doing around just giving back at food banks and things like that and going and packing food and going and helping it at some schools with like reading and things like that. Personally, kids and in, in child development is something that I'm particularly passionate about, especially for kids that have some special needs, and especially kids that may not have the same privileges as well um, as a lot of our kids do, making sure that they're getting extra attention. So there's activities that both my wife and I participate in and then giving back to some organizations, especially around autism, which it's actually really hard to get a lot of therapy around that uh, for the mental development at times, especially in the Bay Area when we were living there, the backlogs and waiting lists and then the costs that are associated with that. We've been actually looking at and, and helping some other people uh, and some other organizations that help some specific families to make sure that their kids are getting the attention that they need.
0: If we had to apply for one or two organizations that are near and dear to you, what would those be? So we can put them in the article.
1: One is a proxy for kids. That's one of the organizations that we've been a part of that's also helped us pretty significantly. Um, and that's probably one that that really has stood out. Got another one. I'm sorry, I'm trying to forget the name. It's on my my personal laptop that's related to the autism piece that I can go and dig up. That's another one that that has been kind of near and dear for us.
0: Um, last question is Salesforce alumni, they're potentially looking at coming back to Salesforce. What advice would you give to them?
1: The thing that got me here, I can I can at least from the insight there is like I'm really the type of person where it's like the mission and vision really have to speak to me like what's the problem that we're trying to solve? Why do we exist? And then what do we believe we need to do to achieve that mission? And so I would say really take the time to understand what the mission is for not just that role, which each role should have a mission and it should have a set of competencies obviously, but also for that organization. Make sure this is something that really speaks and is compelling to you. There's a lot of opportunity at Salesforce for sure, but I think The best thing you can do career-wise is to make sure that the North Star of the things that are fundamentally important for you are aligning in that role. So in other words, don't just jump at the opportunity for the sake of there's an opportunity there, but look for something that's going to challenge you and push you outside of your comfort zone in some ways. So don't look for something comfortable, look for something that's going to be hard. Thanks for joining us on the Salesforce Spotlight Series. Be sure to catch our next episode.
0: Sending positive vibes from our Salesforce family to you and yours.